This is Pat Solver, and I want to welcome you to another episode of The Doctor Weighs In on radio. And today, we're going to talk about drugs, specifically the electronic prescribing of controlled substances. Uh, Today's guest is a... Boston Emergency Physician, Dr. Sean Kelly, who's the Chief Medical Officer of Improvada, a healthcare IT security company. Welcome, Sean. Hi, thanks, Pat. So, Sean, um, uh, tell us uh, a little bit about Improvada and what you guys do, and then let's dive into a discussion of electronic prescribing and talk a little bit about some groundbreaking legislation that uh, New York has um, not implemented but has suggested and evidently will be rolling out within the next year or so. So let's start with Improvada. What what are you guys up to? Sure. Um, We're a healthcare security IT company, and we essentially help with um, clinician workflow and also security. So rather than either sacrificing security for efficiency and convenience or vice versa, enabling clinicians and other operations people in healthcare to use technology that's very helpful and secure at the same time. So this technology specifically applied to this topic um, involves being able to prescribe controlled substances using e-prescription programs. Um, and we can talk a little bit about trends of using e-prescription in general across healthcare and the adoption thereof. Um, but till just recently, very few providers across the United States were able to use electronic prescribing for controlled substances specifically due to very stringent DEA requirements and due to the so technology not the, being uh, mature. This will replace the old triplicate that we used to use? Yeah, so the idea is that, as, as you probably are familiar with, the current and, and past workflow for prescription is that we would write a paper prescription and send that out there with the patient, and that has my signature and my DEA number on it. And there's a lot of fraud and abuse with people trying to get those medications, um, sell them on the streets, divert them, or abuse them. It's led to a huge healthcare crisis in this country. Um, all you have to do is check the newspapers in your own area and nationally. I'm sure you'll see it. it's a very prevalent problem out there. Um, in fact, right now, um, prescription drug overdoses kill more people in the United States per year than car accidents. Um, and that's that's not even including heroin and other illicit drugs. That's just prescription drugs of which narcotics and opiates are, are a large part. Um, wow, so that's an the amazing technolo- and very sad statistic. So um, I like the the car analogy just because, um, you know, it's not like driving is any safer now than it, than it used to be. Um, and so why is it that we're all flying around on the highways right now, um, you know, with distracted driving and texting, and yet um, there are fewer deaths from car accidents than something like uh, opiate overdoses. And, um, you know, it's not because we're safer drivers, but because technology has been brought to bear on safety standards in driving and in automobile production. And so the same way that we have airbags and ABS and anti-lock brakes and, and all these safety features and technology that helps us with safety as we're traveling, 
we really want to use similar technology to do e-prescription to replace that old paper-based um, system that we're using with a lot of safety mechanisms built in. And so, you know, the number of deaths from and injuries from car accidents is going down, and yet these overdose deaths and, and morbidity and mortality is increasing on, on a year-to-year -year basis. And so what we're trying to do is, is change those trends in very specific ways. And so how, what are the mechanics of electronic prescribing when it comes to controlled substances? I mean, this is something you'd really want to be sure that the person who's prescribing is authorized to prescribe that kind of medication. How, how, how does that happen? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, the DEA said back in 2010, um, came out with a ruling that people, um, systems are allowed to prescribe, but only under very strict circumstances. So first of all, you have to, um, a hospital system or a practice has to enroll providers in a supervised fashion. So you have to come in and show your credentials that, you know, I, Dr. Kelly, am indeed Dr. Kelly. Um, my license is up to date. I'm in good standing. And so in a witnessed fashion, I will do that somewhere in the hospital in front of somebody who witnesses that I am who I say I am, including an ID of some kind. And then I need some sort of authentication modality that I'm going to use to sign my prescriptions electronically. No longer do I just sign with my pen. I will need either a fingerprint enrolled, and that's a witnessed enrollment where I put my fingerprint down on a fingerprint reader using software, and someone witnesses and says, yeah, I saw Dr. Kelly put his fingerprint down. Or I can use a token, and a token can be a hard token, what's called an OTP or one-time PIN token that I get that's like a little USB device. Or it can be a software application that is on a phone, and certain ones of these tokens and certain fingerprint readers, but not others, only certain ones, are okayed by the DEA to be used. So those authentication modalities need to be tied specifically to me and enrolled on a software system. That's all in preparation for inclusion into the EMR or other e-prescription program that, um, on which the prescriber will work when they want to prescribe the medications. I'll pause there for a second to see if you have any questions and I can keep explaining what happens when I actually go to put my finger down or write a prescription if you'd like. Um, yeah, sure, go ahead. This is actually so, fascinating because it is, um, it is a, a, a very detailed, but it is important for, for these kinds of drugs that we make sure that the bad actors, those, those ones that, uh, you know, we used to see lots of people hanging out in front of their offices, <laughs> you know, waiting to get their controlled substances legally, but really not uh, the way they should. Yeah, and that gets to the issue of, you know, the pill mills or people that are um, both the prescribers who are writing things inappropriately and also um, the people who are getting them that may be using them, either abusing them or diverting them. Um, to get back to the specific pathway that the DEA has said is an allowable form for this, after you've been supervised, enrolled, and credentialed, once once you're in the system and in the software as a provider that's allowed to do this, you'll have registered in the software um, certain authentication modalities like a fingerprint included in the system or uh, the token. And then what happens is as you're using the e-prescription product within your EMR, and some EMRs have it built right into it, other EMRs outsource it to a third-party software to do the e-prescription. Once it gets to the point where it's asking you to sign an order, 
the system is the software is designed in a way that it knows the difference between a controlled substance and and a non-controlled substance. So in other words, if in, within the software, once I am ordering a prescription to be sent to a retail pharmacy that includes something like a narcotic, an opiate, um, or other controlled substance, because remember, several sedatives, um, some ADD and ADHD drugs and anti-epileptics are also controlled substances. So this affects a large portion of prescriptions out there. Once you go to order that and, and hit the OK button, it will call out to, this is part of what we do as a company, is it calls out to specific software that will then recognize and allow you to put your fingerprint down or use the token to make sure that transaction goes through. It usually gets routed out through SureScripts to a retail pharmacy. Um, one point of clarification that's very important to note, this is not, the work use case here is not as an inpatient. This is not talking about when I order medications on an inpatient floor or in the emergency department for a nurse to give right there in the hospital. It's when I'm ordering medications to be prescribed and routed to a retail pharmacy as an outpatient. Um, that also includes, in most states, the definition would include at a nursing home or a rehab facility or a skilled nursing facility or a long-term care facility. Um, those cases still are considered as an outpatient. So it's a, it's a huge percentage of prescriptions out there that this affects. So talk to us a little bit, Sean, about what are the benefits of doing this. So I get that it allows uh, it 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 makes the system makes sure that I am who I say I am and that I am authorized to prescribe these drugs. But um, what other kinds of benefits are there there in terms of um, say identifying and doing something about the pill mill docs or what are the benefits for patients? What 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 is all of this going to bring us? It sounds very cool, but what's it going to bring us? Sure. Um, I think a growing number of physicians actually really like e-prescription in general. The adoption of e-prescription is in many places upwards of 80 and 90 percent of prescriptions written are actually electronic because of several things. Um, the software is actually quite mature and the technology has gotten pretty convenient. A lot of the programs actually have the doses, the dosages um, already in there. There's a lot of safety checking mechanism, med-med interactions, allergy interactions, um, you know, a, a lot of weight-based dosing, a lot of conveniences within the system, and quite frankly, a lot of patient safety and quality um, metrics are sort of built into it. So people in general, um, providers in general, um, are satisfied with um, electronic prescription. And now that you, if you, if you can use it for controlled substances, it actually allows it to be used in cases where there's some of the most powerful drugs out there and the highest risk. Um, I myself um, think it's very, it's very um, uh, beneficial not to have my DEA number and my signature out there to be exposed for fraud and abuse. Um, also, it um, for patient satisfaction, it can be a huge satisfier because you no longer have to have the patient get a physical prescription, which they then carry over to the pharmacy and have the pharmacy fill. Um, you can actually route it directly there and it will be filled. And by the time the patient goes, um, then they can just fill it. In fact, you can do that without the patient having to come in to see you if you, if you feel comfortable doing that. So um, patients are extremely satisfied with it. Um, the other issue is that 
it's very painful right now to have dual workflows. Dual workflows in healthcare are very dangerous when you have part of the workflow right now is electronic. A huge percentage of people use electronic um, prescription, uh, I'm sorry, electronic um, uh, e-prescription for non-controlled substances and they're routing the prescriptions to pharmacies and yet then they have to then write a, um, the prescriptions for two of the medications and it leads to inefficiencies in people's workflow. So from a provider perspective, it's, it can be more efficient and um, reassuring that your numbers aren't out there exposed for fraud and abuse. I think one of the major things is actually patient satisfaction. Um, it certainly prevents people who are trying to divert and abuse these medications from easy access to them, but it actually allows people who legitimately need these medications who and often are in pain to get them more easily in a more convenient fashion. And do you think the medical boards or, or DEA or other regulatory organizations will um, design ways to use this so they can more quickly identify the pill mill docs, the ones that are actually you know, making a business out of selling these prescriptions to, to people? Uh, absolutely. It's probably worth talking about the legislation in New York um, that um, came about and a lot of the other, uh, the momentum around the country. Um, there's been um, a lot of progress in New York State that created a, um, a law, the I-STOP law, and there's two major facets to the law. One is that all prescriptions, including controlled substances, need to be electronically prescribed. And two is that all providers need to check a prescription monitoring database. And both of those, both of those things contribute to controlling fraud and abuse. In fact, a, a study done by, I think, the CDC in conjunction with New York and the ONC showed upwards of 70 or 75 percent reduction in um, fraud and abuse. And I don't know exactly the data behind that offhand, um, but that's an independent look at just by having providers checking the prescription monitoring program and even just starting minimally to use e-prescription, they've already, um, already reduced fraud and diversion and abuse by a significant percentage. Um, the, we're seeing traction really across the country um, many places, um, but New York was an interesting case because it was a forcing factor because many of the major vendors, including a lot of the large EMR vendors, have important large customers in New York. The fact that there was legislation passed that requires um, e-prescription of controlled substances meant that a lot of the vendors had to actually go and get their software certified. One of the requirements of the DEA is that in order to prescribe controlled substances, every component of the system, all the way from soup to nuts, from the first credentialing process we described, all the way through the EMR usage, any call out to authentication platforms and security experts like us at Improvada, and even the routing from SureScripts out to the pharmacy, every piece of that needs to be certified and stitched together so there's no hole in the system. That is who, very common. Who, who does that fall to, to do? Is that something that the EMR vendor has to do? Is that something that the, that the prescriber has to do? Who, who has to do that? It sounds, it sounds pretty onerous. 
Um, the EMR vendor had to do it, and then any third-party software such as Improvata, we had to do it, and we end up combining with the EMR systems in ShareScripts to make sort of a seamless network through the, the To make system. sure that that end-to-end piece that you talked about is is actually certified, and it's not that you're certified and the EMR is certified and ShareScript is certified, but the entire process end-to-end is certified. Uh, correct. We, we, in conjunction with them, get certified, and then the whole system is now basically okayed for use. Um, if any part of that is not certified, there's a hole in it. Um, so providers can stitch together various technologies to try to do this. There are two potential problems with that. One, if there's any hole in the security, um, that could really come back to be a problem um, if the audit trail is not clean and if some part of it's not certified. So the onus is is really on the providers to make sure that whatever systems they use are fully certified. I know that any system we interact with as a vendor, including all the EMRs we work with, is fully certified. Um, The other piece is that the workflow, you don't want to break a provider's workflow. And so, you know, you don't want to have to send them to a whole new system to do one kind of prescription, look up the patient again and repeat their work, and then go back to their EMR to finish what they were doing. That's not safe patient care or convenient for providers as well. Um, So the bottom line is the whole thing needs to be certified and safe, and it also needs to be usable because, you know, doctors and nurses are busy trying to think about patient care, and they need to have a system that has mature, um, effective technology in order for it to be adopted and used. And so I want to come back a minute to this authentication because I I just got through reading a really scary book about – about it's called future crime and it's about hacking into everything. I mean, by the time I was done with it, I felt like I needed to go and live on a desert island with no devices whatsoever. Uh, but uh, I want to raise the question of it. Seems to me that you know people who have ill intent um, might really want to be able to get in and do electronic prescribing of these controlled substances for themselves and somehow divert legitimate um, prescribing uh, for their own means. Would you say that this uh, authentication process that you described uh, where you have to go in and you know do the fingerprinting and show your credentials and all of that is that is that hack proof? Well, I guess hack-proof is a dangerous term. Um, I'm sure many systems thought they were hack-proof until they weren't. Um, I will say that the DEA regulations were incredibly strict, um, and the fact that that, uh, almost nobody was doing any e-prescription until just recently is a testament to exactly how high the standards were set. Um, And as a healthcare security company, um, you know, with over 2 million-plus healthcare users across the nation, in various of our systems, we understand that many security systems, um, you know, in order to be effective, you need redundancy and, and protection in the system, which we, of course, have built in. So I'm hesitant to say anything is hack-proof, um, but it, I think it's the, it represents the best in technology. Um, it's certainly better than a written prescription where my signature and DEA number are immediately available. Um, so it's it's better than the, the standard of care now, as it were. Um, and I think that one of the pieces that made it so hard to comply with with the DEA regulations, but also is, is, is a component of safety, is that every step, as we talked about, requires either, you know, witnessed enrollment, it requires 
uh, authentication via a biometric method, such as a fingerprint being put down on a scanner. And even those scanners need to be what's called FIPS compliant, and they need to really have a high level of um, security so that the hardware itself can't be spoofed or 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 or, um, or broken into, and the software um, the same thing. So I think that you know right now it represents really the best in technology. Some of the authentication modalities that that we um, open up and use, um, you know, they're 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 even the the tokens the same way. It's a witnessed um, handover so that the token that I have is really my token, and there's no denying that that's the specific one that was distributed to me by the hospital administration. Um, so so with all the, of that the bottom line said, is... Oh, I'm sorry. I was going to say, with all of that being said, as we were discussing earlier um, prior to going uh, live on the on the show, uh, iStop has been delayed. What are what are the issues that have have led to the delay in in the, implementing this legislation, which sounds like it's going to be great? Yeah, I think um, you know, as with anything, it's it's a complex topic, and you know, the politicians, to their credit pushed forth an agenda um, in order to address a public health crisis in which they said, you know, we really need to force um, technology to catch up and be used um, to, to promote public safety. And I think the intentions were good and, and the ultimate result will be good. Uh, the issue is just that the IT systems at hospitals, for anybody out there that's working with them, are enormously complex. Um, and the, getting each vendor ready and working together with the other component software vendors and hardware vendors in order to really stitch this together because of the high standards set by the DEA, justifiably so, as we talked about due to the security concerns and making it as, quotes, hack-proof, end quotes, as possible, um, you know, it's just it was hard. It was more complicated than people thought when really everyone dug into it um, and I and I think it you know New York is really w was was a um, forcing factor on a lot of the rest of the nation in the sense that the vendors really had to put a lot of effort into creating systems and, and modifying their systems so that they were certified safe and actually usable. You know, it just the bottom line is it's just harder than people think and estimate ahead of time. So things were slower than people thought. The technology is sort of getting there and is almost done. In many cases, um, with certain EMRs, it's finished, it's it's running, it's very usable. In other EMR systems, it's not quite finished yet. Some of the certification bodies have not quite certified some of the systems where they have with others. Um, and so, so is it a, you know, I'm as, sorry, Sean. Is it is it a fair statement for me to say, so this is, uh, holds great promise. Um, it's ready. It's not quite ready for prime time. Um, New York will probably be the place where we see it implemented first. And what do you think? Five years, ten years? How long before this becomes standard practice uh, across the country? Well, it's being used now. Um, we have we already have several places in New York using it, and several across the country, and more and more every day signing up, and they're scaling up their usage. Um, so, you know, the answer is it's actually it's already happening. Um, as far as when it will be the standard of care, certainly in New York, within a year, um, in March of next year, it'll be required that every 
every prescriber in New York that writes a prescription, whether it's uh, controlled substances or not, will be on one of these systems. So we'll not only be the standard of care there, it will be required and enforceable by law in a year. Um, and then I think that if the trends follow what they did for e-prescription in general, I think we'll see a pretty rapid adopt uh, adaptation over the past uh, over the next uh, one to two years um, for for the majority of places across the country. So I mean, it's very hard to to ballpark or guess these things, um, but we're, we're we're hearing from many other states, um, you know, similar interests. To uh, in pursuing similar things to what New York pursued. Oh, okay, great. So that was a great um, update or introduction and update on what's going on in electronic prescribing, uh, in particular the prescribing of controlled substances. So, Sean, I want to thank you very much for taking time to join us today and to help our audience understand um, not only EPCS, Electronic Prescribing of Controlled Substances, but also the iStop Law. Um, thank you very much, and um, we wish you the best of luck as you pursue um, these kinds of solutions going forward. Great. Well, I appreciate your time and everybody's time. If anyone is at the HIMSS conference, please come by. We have some new and exciting authentication modalities that I can't talk about yet, but that are very, very exciting that will be coming out then, um, or check our website after that. And um, I think there's a lot of innovation in this space, and I think there's a, a lot that's going to happen um, both for provider satisfaction, but for patient safety too. So thanks for letting us chat about this topic.